Hey folks, let's spend some time with friends up north. Pat Kreitlow of Up North News is on Lake Wissota. Sarah Yacoub of the Manaqua Brewing Company Super Pack is on the Mississippi River. And up on Lake Manaqua is Kirk Bangstead of the Manaqua Brewing Company. Wherever you are, welcome. You're up north. Welcome to the Up North Podcast. I'm Kirk Bankstead on Lake Manaqua at the Manaqua Brewing Company. And I am Sarah Yacoub of the Manaqua Brewing Company Super Pack. Uh, and I'm Pat Kreitlow, founder of UpNorthNewsWI.com, a similarly named but entirely separate state-based news site that, like this very podcast, wants only a few simple things in life. Democracy should thrive. Fair play should be encouraged. And justice should be brought to those trying to rob taxpayers, suppress voters, and allow a virus to rage unchecked so that we can enjoy our old fashions and our fish fry a little bit more. Having set up the premise of tonight's discussion, how are you guys doing? Did you miss me last week? Oh, man, Pat. Like, so first of all, I guess I was supposed to, like, make sure that we had, like, a certain panoramic view on Zoom. I screwed that up. Uh, you always like, you're such a pro at this pod, uh, at, uh, at all things broadcasting. We, I, you know, we, we made it happen. And I think we talked about a lot of important issues, but it wasn't nearly as smooth. And I, I recognize how pivotal you are to my life <laughs> no, every Wednesday night. Not, no, it, it's just about somebody's got to be the tech nerd. And I'm happy to, to, <laughs> to usually fill that role. I had to travel for, for work last week. Up North News is part of a, a group of, state-based news outlets uh, run by Courier Newsroom. And as uh, uh, they're one of their regional directors, I was visiting folks with the Keystone, our outlet out in Pennsylvania. So I was in Philadelphia last week. Uh, so this is actually the first time here on show three that we get the three of us together, Sarah. And it's, uh, it's really great to have you aboard. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Last week was a lot of fun and uh, looking forward to working with you and covering a lot of good ground. But I mean, but why Kirk? I mean, you you have run for office. You're an attorney. You're 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 an established pro. You know, a family woman. You 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 own two dogs, um, and you took on you took on this mangy mutt over here. So clearly, you right. must you must believe in something. So uh, at the end of the campaign, after being that plugged into state legislative issues. It, it felt like I should do something productive with it. And so I was looking into taking sort of whatever leftover funds I had, I was going to give some of it to a local charity and then put the rest of it into like a super PAC. Um, didn't end up having as much as I, I thought, um, but I reached out to Kirk to sort of ask, pick his brain. And he said, you know, well, why don't we just combine forces? And I thought, well, you're pretty cool. So yeah, all right. That sounds like a good idea. Um, and the rest- I hoodwinked her, Pat. I hoodwinked her. I'll say you did. <laughs> Well, uh, we're, we're, we're having fun uh, making some good trouble. Well, and that's really what it is all about. It, it's about uh, making the kind of trouble that is needed. And so uh, today on the program, we are going to talk about uh, how not just our schools have been politicized and our school boards have been politicized, which frankly has made our schools uh, more dangerous, but our courts have been politicized to the point where you know we've had rigged maps for the past decade. And uh, we're gonna be talking to a guest who is going to talk about that fight, uh, the, you know, the good trouble that has to be raised for that. And then later, 
Uncle Kirk's Book Club uh, will be uh, closing out the show. The Bankstead Book Club. I think that's what, what we're going to go with. Um, a real uplifting uh, tome that he's he's got to tell us about today about the the death of democracy. Sounds like a rom-com to me. So stick around for that one as well. So we have, uh, we first are going to talk about what's happening with school boards up north and all around the state. When you come back to the cabin, uh, you are part of the Up North podcast. We'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back to the Up North podcast. I'm Sarah Yacoub. And I'm Kirk Bankstead. And I'm Pat Kreitlow, and we're playing lawyers, guns, and money because there's going to be a theme developing here, and that's about the uh, the legal fights that surround our school boards and our courts, uh, trying to make things a little cleaner and less politicized for uh, for life up north. But first, uh, the usual thanks, as always, to uh, our, our wonderful hosts at News Talk 92.7 in Madison. That's our broadcast home every Wednesday evening at 7. You can use their Devil Radio app to catch our show or any of the fine programs here on the home of Devil's Advocates Radio. As a podcast, you can catch us weekends at our website, upnorthpodcast.com, or any of the usual places where you can subscribe and listen to us. So, um, Kirk and Sarah, again, we, we played Philadelphia Freedom going into the break because I was away in, in Philly last week, but I did watch <laughs> uh, and listen to the show when I got back. And honestly, the line that stood out to me most from what you guys did last week, you had a, a guest, Beth, from, the, from Waukesha County, a concerned parent, said that it was very much on brand for Wisconsin, that it was up to a brewery to show more leadership for keeping our kids safe than what right-wing legislators and activists were doing. And, you know, that's where the super PAC comes in, Kirk. Yeah, Pat. So, you know, we never, I actually, I never thought I'd be doing this a year ago. And I don't think Sarah thought she'd be part of the super PAC a year ago, but, um, you know, there's, Wisconsin is so crazy. Uh, we are so crazy that um, I felt like I had to do something and, uh, you know, we're, you know, making good trouble up north. But, you know, it's not only the legislature that's now kind of screwed up. It's school boards around the, the state of Wisconsin uh, that are kind of now becoming uh, crazy. And so, uh, yeah, so it's time to time to battle them as well with some super PAC dollars. <laughs> Well, and the nice thing about being able to have these conversations when it's not election season is there's this misconception that if something bad's going on, we'll hear about it. This idea that the media is liberal so that if something, if someone's doing something wrong, they'll hear about it. And the reality is we really don't. And if we wait until election season to talk about these things, then they never get discussed and it all turns into sort of political election time noise. But yeah, with the, the school boards, you know, we're, we've got these phony issues, um, these non-issues. Critical race theory is not something taught in our K through 12 schools, but you would never know it being in one of our school board meetings. And you actually have local candidates that are being fed these things from right-wing propaganda machines to try to get people up in arms about it. And it's so, not even that. It, it's it's uh, Kirk, it's it's right down to the vocabulary, like a, a list of, of you know words that they're trying to censor from from our kids history lessons yeah so let me tell you some of these words i got them written down so the legislature passed the bill the republican legislature of wisconsin passed this critic crazy critical race theory bill and they included words that should not be taught in school and these words include diversity equity anti-racism, cultural awareness, uh, 
examine systems oppressor versus oppressed patriarchy representation and inclusion whiteness and woke i would just like sarah's take on uh on a bunch of guys uh banning the word patriarchy from being used in schools Sarah, any thoughts on this whatsoever <laughs> you know um gaslighting comes to mind of you know girls <laughs> they probably ban that word too so yes i and implicit and explicit bias i just went to a really cool training that talked about something like a million different sensory receptions in a given day and we process 40 of them and so we are forming implicit biases every day of our lives because we process all this information that we can't even begin to to be conscious of and to not be able to talk about it is just silly. And, and so let's let's go into that a bit more on a couple of different fronts. Um, but let's let's go back to critical race theory, which I'm going to say over and over again is not a thing. It is a it is a code phrase for whitewashing history. And as I'm going to tell you in a couple of minutes, parents overwhelmingly want a, a proper and full history to be taught. But again, Sarah, as as an attorney, you know, critical race theory is is an actual thing, but it's an actual thing at the at the law school level, basically, right, where you get really deep into, you know, what the law does and what what the history of the law does. What what else can you say about what it actually is? It, so from even better than that, it's a graduate level seminar type level of specificity and really looking at the theory of the of different sociological issues and how people have come to be in the situations that they're in and looking at different dynamics, uh, whether it's the economy, whether it's crime statistics, um, but looking at it from systems of oppression over you know generations. But this is simply not something that we're talking about in our schools. The other thing, Kirk, that I thought was really interesting is they're even telling schools that they can't teach their staff any of these issues as well. So, you know, if you've got teachers that are being inappropriate, I mean, how often do we hear about, you know, it's rare, but it happens, you know, like a teacher being inappropriate with a student, whether it's race, whether it's gender, whether, you know, any number of things. Well, what you saw in Wausau a couple of weeks yes. back, you know. Yes. With the teacher dressing up um, as a Native American in a way that was really disrespectful to that heritage and, you know, to not be able to train people. I mean, from an economical business standpoint, who wants to do business in a state where we're breeding this sort of learned stupidity? So let's let let me bring it back to like like the 5000 degree you know bird's eye view. So we've been saying that critical race theory is not an issue that anybody cared about or anybody still cares about. And it's being uh, be, that and now anti-masking in schools um, because last year kids were putting masks on and they were okay with it. Uh, and it, it wasn't like hurting them. It wasn't giving them foul air, which we've, I've heard way too much. And, and it's, they're still okay wearing masks and it's the appropriate thing to do given the science. These issues are, 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 that's a strategy for the right wing, um, kind of world to, to actually gain power at the local level. They want a QAnon, uh, super, um, you know, th their Trump cult to, to get so jazzed up about racism because there's a lot of racism in the QAnon world and they want to get jazzed up about this 
fake sense of freedom uh, about like the masks and everything that they actually run for school board, they run for county board, they run and and if they can, can start controlling the county boards, then, oh, maybe we can get a county clerk elected. Maybe we can understand the ballot box a little bit better, you know, in a state like Wisconsin, where the president only won by, by 20,000 votes. I mean, it is an insidious and it is a completely cynical non thing that they're doing to, to try to gain power locally. And it's, it's, well, it's just, it's just evil. And in so doing, they will be able to weaken public education, which has long been a goal, and then smother any progress being made toward diversity, equality, and inclusion. And so it, it, it only makes sense that we set the record straight, because some would say, don't give these folks oxygen, don't give them attention, but they're already getting the attention, because sadly, a lot of news media will chase the shiny object, and they will chase the thing that's making a lot of noise, even if it's not founded in anything that is real, uh, even if it is a tiny minority of public opinion, but noise sells. And so we do have to unfortunately talk about these things to say that uh, to, to, to basically, not to sound on defense, but to set the record straight that when you teach your children, I'm just talking to you white people, just come a little closer to the speaker here, white people. <laughs> when we're talking about what white people long ago did, and a lot of it wasn't very nice, talking about it doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make your kid a bad person. In fact, it makes them a better person. And that's what history is, 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 is trying to make sure we don't repeat bad behaviors and old mistakes. And as we're seeing more and more now, and Kirk's going to talk about it in the last segment, you know, if you don't learn from history, you are condemned to repeat it. And our, our very democracy is at stake. So it is okay to talk about these things. And, you know, then making the pivot to anti-masking, it is still okay to wear a mask in fact, it's the thing you should be doing most if you don't want to spread something that is still with us. The pandemic is not over and parents want their kids back in school, but they want their kids back in school safely, Sarah. That's the whole point is to have this safe environment. Yes. And, you know, it, it just astounds me. Surgeons wear masks for very long, lengthy surgeries and they're not dropping like flies. So this whole idea that wearing a mask and we're all going to die of this idea of CO2 poisoning is so silly. And then we look at countries like Japan, where it's part of their cultural heritage now to wear a mask to be a good member of the community and not spread germs separate and apart from the pandemic. And they're doing great. And so this idea that, you know, you can't wear a mask to run into Target or when you're inside a building is just nonsense. And I know I want my kids to be safe. My my kindergartner wears a mask all day and handles it better than a lot of adults in the community. I got to say, my, my one of my grandsons is is uh, six and one of my friends teaches uh, six-year-olds. And I, I think the kids are learning, but certainly that, that first year, you got to teach them to stop biting on the mask and sucking on it. And pretty soon there's a hole in the mask. Those poor <laughs> oh. teachers are going through so many extra masks as they learn how to wear them properly, but they do learn how to wear them properly and stay safe. My three-year-old is a certified anti-masker. We're in the airport and he's like, no, I'm not wearing it. I'm like, oh, yes, you are. You see Papa's crazy. I'm wearing, you put it on. And he's like, I, I don't want to wear the mask. And I'm like, where are, where are you coming from? Well, you, maybe maybe he's watching you know, Fox News while you're not paying attention. Not so, just like the critical race theory, there 
there's a very loud, small segment of people um, who are encouraged by uh, by conservative talk radio and 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 kind of alt right media to go to school boards and 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 be really loud. But, and, but they, and but they're small. May, may, may I share some numbers with you? Yes, please share Let, the numbers. Let's uh, you know. So here's the thing. You, the reason you don't go to school boards and make noise when they're doing something right is because they're doing something right. Um, and you're in the majority, by the way, for thinking that. Latest polling from Navigator Research shows the public supports vaccine mandates as proposed by President Biden, 57% to 38% overall, including a seven-point margin in favor among independents. 69% of Americans think that vaccine opposition is prolonging the pandemic. The latest Monmouth University poll shows two out of three Americans, 66%, support requiring that face masks be worn by students, teachers, and staff in schools. And that is not just a blue state thing. Wait, say that again, 66%, 66% of Americans people? support face mask safeguards in schools, including 68% in blue states and 63% in red states. Would you ever think that given the media that we hear in Wisconsin day in and day out? No, you, you would not. And, and the same goes for teaching history in, in its most complete form. In a recent USA Today poll, 63% support educating the nation's youth on the ongoing effects of slavery and racism. So I'll say it again. People want safe schools. They want their kids back in school so long as they're safe. And they don't want their kids. History lessons whitewashed. The noise is meant to attract media attention, but it doesn't make it popular and reminds us again how important our local elections are in the spring and those down ballot races in the fall, Kirk. And it's important to make sure that when there's loud voices hurting kids by by making school boards not mandate masks for kids that are too young to be vaccinated, somebody's got to step forward and sue those school boards. Um, and so has, has somebody has somebody done that recently? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Update, update. Kirk Bankstead with an update. We. Wait, or do you want we Sarah just, to give the update here? I'll give the update. We we just uh, dropped the lawsuit in the Eastern. Dropped as in of, filed. Not, filed, not sorry. Yeah, yeah it, we didn't drop a record. Yeah, we filed, my, our lawyer filed a lawsuit with plaintiffs in Waukesha against the Waukesha School Board. And uh, and we will, you know, it will, it's a, it's a class action suit which will scoop up all school boards that aren't following CDC guidelines. We plan to file another lawsuit in the Western District of Wisconsin uh, as soon as we can kind of get this one filed. And and it's not because we want to force people to do stuff. We, I mean, it's, yes, we do want to force people to do stuff. We shouldn't have to force people to do stuff. It should be common sense. But we're not going to let a small vocal minority be the lowest common denominator of Wisconsin. We want to have a greatest common multiple in Wisconsin, and that is doing the right thing, abiding by science. And and if it takes a lawsuit to do that, then it, it takes a lawsuit to do that. And so that that lawsuit's been filed, and there were, and and there are parents uh, in other school districts that are considering doing the same. So you really do finally have the the proper backlash. Uh, against these extreme positions that put, uh, you know, students, uh, staff, and teachers' health 
in jeopardy. Uh, and so, you know, that's, that's something that uh, your, your super PAC has been working on. Uh, Sarah, you, you know, as well, the importance of having a, a group like this to, to do that. And, you know, uh, understanding that there's going to be some pushback and our, our Facebook page is turned into a world of fun uh, with the Trumpers, as you might imagine. But, you know, it, it feels good to do something to speak up. You know, we're on the right side of science. We're on the right side of history. This will save lives. We know that right. that is clear. This saves lives. So we will continue our theme of lawyers, guns and money without the guns with Doug Poland, litigation director from Law Forward, to talk about legal action against those who are trying to rig our maps. Coming up next, you're up north. This is the Up North podcast heard live on Wednesday nights on the radio and on the weekends, wherever you find podcasts on politics, Wisconsin, or the never-ending fight against the flat earth crowd. I'm Pat Kreitlow, along with Sarah Yacoub and Kirk Bankstead. Thank you, Pat. We wanted to take time this week to talk about the ways our courts have been politicized, not just by conservatives who become candidates, but by legal groups who pick fights in court and try to do things like suppress voters' rights and rig political boundaries so they can more easily win come election time. So the most well-known group in Wisconsin is called the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty. And I almost want to cough and choke when I say that word. Um, and because they were founded by powerful right wing activists, uh, big money, big pockets, and they've been wreaking havoc in Wisconsin for a long time. Uh, but fortunately, uh, over, you know, very recently, a new organization has uh, sprung forward um, in in. And, and these are folks who are some great legal minds who believe in justice, fairness, and fighting back. And the group is called Law Forward, and we're happy to have their litigation director, Doug Poland, with us today. Doug, hello, and thanks so much for being here. Kirk, it's a pleasure to be up north with you, and um, thanks so much for having me. Well, we're, we're just very thankful to help the audience understand, um, you know, how this got to be. Uh, an issue in in courts because it starts to get complex that way. So we want to try to explain it as best we can. So we we understand we've talked about will Wisconsin is two for law and liberty and and you know they filed many cases on on in in, in several different areas. But the areas that uh, we want to talk about is where legal minds are you know also taking action uh, to, to try to uphold some basic principles here. So can you give us just the really quick, uh, better explanation than I just did of, of law forward, it, either it's genesis, it's, its purpose, its goals, uh, you know, however you best want to describe law forward? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so about a year ago, um, I and one of my law partners, I'm, a, I'm at a law firm called Stafford Rosenbaum in Madison. Well, I and one of my law partners, Jeff Mandel, um, launched Law Forward actually last October, um, almost a year ago exactly. And Jeff and I have both been involved in in sort of political and election litigation in Wisconsin for a while. And what we've been uh, what we've been representing, the groups we've been representing are mostly nonprofit groups, groups like um, League of Women Voters of Wisconsin, um, uh, groups like labor labor unions as well, SEIU, Voces de la Frontera, Black Leaders Organizing for Communities. The difficulty with being a private practice lawyer and doing that is that private practice lawyers have to get paid somehow. And it's very difficult for groups like we represent who really are not partisan groups, but are looking to fairly represent 
folks in Wisconsin, regular folks in Wisconsin, they don't have a lot of money to spend for litigation. And so Jeff and I recognized the need for a nonpartisan, nonprofit law firm that could do fundraising and then go out and represent these groups, represent ordinary Wisconsinites um, to protect the right to vote, to protect the right to participate in the political process and try to reclaim some of the powers that have been taken from them over the last 10 years. So we launched Law Forward last October with that goal in mind. We want to protect the processes in Wisconsin and restore Wisconsin to um, the bastion of good government that it really once was when I was growing up on the eastern part of the state in the 1970s and, and you know 1980s. So let's let's try to uh, go basic on redistricting because again that gerrymandering map map drawing all of that uh, sometimes uh, t- tends to sound a, a little bit overwhelming here. So let's get at what what is the most basic principle involved in, you know, the maps have to be redrawn every 10 years for folks not familiar with this after every census. What is, what are the, what is, or what are the most basic principles that Law Forward is either trying to protect or frankly reestablish after a decade of, of gerrymandered maps? What, what is it that is different to those who say, oh, well, everybody does this? Yeah, let me first start out by just making clear um, what we're talking about here when we talk about redistricting. We are talking about state legislative districts. So those are the districts um, from which we elect in Wisconsin. We elect members of our Wisconsin State Assembly and our Senate. So that's our legislature. The districts also encompass our congressional districts. Those are the districts, the eight of them that we have in Wisconsin, from which we elect representatives to the United States House of Representatives. That's what gets done every 10 years after the census comes in. And what happened back in 2011 um, is that the legislature at the time, and remember we had unified control of Wisconsin government back then. So the Republican party controlled the legislature and the governor's, governor's office for the first time um, in, in, since the 1960s. And what they did was they, they, they deliberately drew maps and they, we proved this in federal court in 2016. The court ruled in our favor and it found this, it found that what the Republicans did was to intentionally maximize the control that they had over the legislature, not just for the purpose of the elections that would be held in the next election, electoral cycle, which is 2012, but for the entire decade, right? People might say, come on, how can you do that? How can you ensure that? I'm telling you, it's exactly what they did. We proved it to a federal court. Um, and we showed the statistical analysis that they, that they used to be able to do that. And, and the proof is in the pudding. They have, no matter whether Republicans in the legislature statewide have won 44% of the vote or 52% of the vote in every election since 2012, they have controlled more than 60% of the seats in the assembly. And no matter whether Democrats have won between 45% or 54% of the vote, they've never been able to crack 40%. That's a gerrymander. That means the Republicans have controlled the legislature the entire decade. And that has real meaning because that means that they can implement whatever policies they want. They can bring to the floor for a vote of the assembly or Senate, whatever they want. And they don't have to have any of the Democrats proposed legislation come to the floor of the assembly or Senate. No matter what the will of the voters is. Doesn't matter. They don't care. They just don't care. So, Doug, what do you say, you know, the majority of Wisconsinites want fair maps, and yet it's not a big enough issue to be a deal breaker, and they continue to vote for politicians who give us gerrymandered maps. 
And so what do you say to the voters who say, well, you know what, my team is cheating, but they want what I want. So meh, I'm okay with it. Uh, with, there's this misconception that if you're a Republican, having Republicans cheat actually benefits you. And what do you say to those people? Well, what I say to them is um, when you look at the polling that Charles Franklin does, the Marquette Law School poll, for example, which is an A plus poll, it's an outstanding poll. When we look across party lines at what people in Wisconsin want, they want Medicaid expansion. They want common sense laws to reduce gun violence. They want nonpartisan redistricting. They want a whole lot of things. And I'm not talking just Democratic voters. I'm talking a lot of Republicans as well. We're talking 75%, 80% of voters across Wisconsin. And so what ends up happening, you know, look at Wisconsin, what's happened here. We've been leading the nation in farm bankruptcies for the last couple of years. What's the legislature doing about it? Nothing, nothing. You know, what do they get? So, you know, I would say to these people, I, it doesn't matter, you know, your political affiliation and your support for a party that does nothing for you, it's meaningless to you. Why would you continue to support a party that does nothing to implement the policies you want to help you out in your in your everyday life? Well, because they're talking about critical race theory, which none of them care about, but it riles up the base. So that We just talked about that in the previous segment. Uh, I want to drill deeper into... Um, the actual court cases that have been filed uh, for uh, redistricting. Can you give us a synopsis of what's going on in, uh, in court at the federal level and maybe at the Wisconsin Supreme Court level and where you think this is going to end up uh, and, you know, with law forward fighting for, you know, for fair maps? Yeah, absolutely. So there, there are um, cases going on right now, like you mentioned, Kirk, both in the federal court in Madison, and then also in front of the state Supreme Court. Let me start out with the first one that was filed. And that was a case that was filed in the federal court um, here in Madison. And by the way, these are not your typical cases that are filed in federal court where you get a single judge. They're actually special panels of judges that are appointed to these. So there are three judges that have been appointed to sit on this panel. The first case was filed on August 13th. All right, so it was filed almost two months ago. And it was filed by a group of voters, um, and uh, not the different voters than I represent. But they, they, the, the allegations that they raised in their complaint um, were uh, essentially that the districts in Wisconsin, the congressional and the legislative districts, are what we call malapportioned or they're imbalanced. The Constitution requires the federal Constitution requires that districts be roughly well, be equal in population, um, and the districts as they exist now are not. And so they asked the court to take jurisdiction over this dispute. We filed a case shortly after that on behalf of a number of voters um, and several organizations. And we included not only those kinds of uh, malapportionment claims, but also a Voting Rights Act claim. And our allegation there is that, um, that uh, voters in Milwaukee in majority black districts in Milwaukee are underrepresented in the state legislature. And we need to create another majority black district in, in, in the Milwaukee area. So that case was filed in federal court on August 13th. 10 days after that, um, the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty filed what we call an original action petition in the Wisconsin State Supreme Court. And they asked the Wisconsin State Supreme Court to take jurisdiction over the redistricting dispute and to decide um, if assuming the legislature and the governor can't come to an agreement on what the districts should be and that those districts would actually comply with state and federal law, they asked the Wisconsin State Supreme Court to decide that same issue. What should the districts look like? Both so, the, the legislature so, so Doug, we've got, we've got it in three spots here. We, we've got uh, like in 1982, 
It was the federal court for the Eastern District of Wisconsin that ended up writing the maps. Ten years later, in 1992, it was the district court for Western uh, District of Wisconsin that worked on the maps. But now, as you mentioned, you know, Will is asking the state Supreme Court to get involved in this. And I mean, we we can't say how will this all turn out. We don't know. But you know, to to, to Kirk's question, well, first off, how how can we how can we have cases in both? How how can that become resolved and what's the path you hope to take to get there? Yeah, every year since what we call the redistricting revolution or the one person, one vote revolution in the 1960s, when, when law basically changed completely over redistricting, every single time this has gone to court, it's been decided by our federal courts. So there's a there's a there's a a, a path there that's been um, tried before. The federal courts know how to do this. They've done it, they've done it every single time. They're very efficient at it. I tried a case in the Eastern District 10 years ago. Um, over over the legislative districts, they know how to do it. That's one of the reasons why we um, we opposed the Wisconsin State Supreme Court taking original jurisdiction over this dispute. They've never done it before. It's a court of appeals. It's not a trial court. They don't typically try cases. They don't preside over discovery and hold hearings and hold trials and do all those things. So right now, what's going on is there is this jousting for who is actually going to exercise. Um, control over where this trial is held that makes the decision about what the maps should look like. The Wisconsin State Supreme Court took original jurisdiction, but just today there were, I don't know how many, eight, 10, something like that, letter briefs that were filed um, with the State Supreme Court um, addressing an issue about what, you know, what the schedule should be in the State Supreme Court. This is still undecided. We still don't know where the trial is going to be held. So, Doug, the question I have is obviously, you know, I've been in Wisconsin long enough to know that our state Supreme Court is really heavily conservative based on, you know, I, I think unfair election practices. Um, I don't need you to comment on that. You might have to argue in front of them at some point. But, um, you know, it's it, it doesn't seem like a good outcome for fair maps will happen if they take it back. And isn't it illegal for the state Supreme Court to take jurisdiction from the federal government or the federal jur- law judicial well, system? What, yeah, what federal court, what federal law actually says is that the state, the state Supreme Court should have the first opportunity to be able to, to be able to pass and whether the maps um, satisfy state law or not. But the federal court is always going to have the last call, the last decision on federal claims. And because we have these federal malapportionment claims, which are brought under the U.S. Constitution, and we have a claim under Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, it's the federal court that has the final say over whether the districts actually satisfy federal law. And we have this thing in the US Constitution called the Supremacy Clause, which says the laws of the United States are supreme. They basically trump state law. So there is this respect in the first instance that the federal law has for the federal courts have for the state courts. They let them do things first if they can. And that's a key question. Can they actually do it? But in the end, the federal court's gonna have the final say. What does the timeline look like for this process? We, you know, 2022 is coming up real fast. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a huge issue of contention right now, Sarah. And that's what we're basically fighting with, um, uh, with other parties over in the two different courts. Um, we think that the timeline is that um, uh, there need to be the, 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 um, the legislature, the governor, and the state courts basically have to um, be finished with their processes by early January, because just today the federal court issued an order saying that it has set aside the week beginning January 31st for a trial of these issues, these federal issues. So if the state courts 
and the state legislature and governor aren't done by then, um, you know, we think that um, the federal court will assert its jurisdiction. It will it will decide these issues. And what happens in the meantime is that um, candidates don't really know what district they're going to be in to file for. Voters don't really know, you know, what districts they're going to live in. So there's going to be quite the rush when this is all said and done. But uh, again, there, there's a little ways to go before things are all, you know, said and done there, Doug Poland. And, and we really appreciate you giving us your expertise. I got a feeling we're going to be talking to you again with, with updates and, and little legal wrinkles as they come in. But well, you guys can call on me anytime, Pat. One real quick thing I want to say, though, is this is entirely within the control of the state legislature. If the legislature wants to pass fair maps next week or the week after and send them to the governor for signature, it can do that but it wants to act as litigants. It's filed dozens of cases over yeah. the past couple of years. It's acting not as a legislature, it's acting as litigants, spending taxpayer monies on lawyers instead of doing what its job is to do. Yeah, well, wouldn't it be great if they did their job? Doug, thanks again so much. Deeply appreciate it. Anytime, uh, happy to talk to you guys. Thanks, thanks so gonna, much, Doug. We're gonna take our final break. You're up north. Great to be here and welcome back to the Up North Podcast. I'm Kirk Bankstead. I'm Sarah Yacoub. And uh, I'm Pat Kreitlow. And it's time, as promised, for the Bankstead Book Club. Yes, Uncle Kirk has been reading again. And we're not talking romance novels or spy thrillers or more ways to use beer in everyday recipes. Kirk's been reading up on how democracy, something we've taken for granted for a long time in this country, is not guaranteed especially if folks won't defend it. Um, so it, it, it's time, Kirk, talk history. Thanks, Pat. So, you know, yeah, I mean, this whole, I when I started thinking about this show this week, we're, you know, we're talking about gerrymandering, we're talking about voter suppression, uh, we're abusing power, you know, get, getting power, you know, in school boards through, through basically, you know, faking the news um, and, and and just in the last five years, you know, in 2016 on with Trump, and it just feels like what I grew up with in America, you know, the democracy and the rule of law has just been eroded. And I think a lot of people kind of just feel that and it's, it's just worrisome. And so I, I wanted to figure out, like, is this just is this like such an anomaly that it's only happening now? And it turns out, in history, that's not the case, like, there is a continuum. Um, of, of when America has had strong democracy and very weak democracy. And uh, I, I learned about this when I when I started reading a book, I haven't read it all yet, but I've read, you know, I'm starting to read it. It's called The Four Threats, The Recurring Crisis of American Democracy. And so um, basically it's, a, it's like a bunch of law, uh, political science professors, uh, I think one is at Cornell, um, who came up with like, what are the, it, throughout history, what have been certain scenarios where our democracy has been eroded? And so I want to talk about these four threats and talk about historically, you know, when when it's been kind of bad like it is now. And then Pat's going to kind of bring it bring it home to like, how, what does that mean with to up folks living up north in Wisconsin? So first of all, uh, one of the one of the four threats is polarization between parties. We you know, the Republicans and Democrats have seldom been as far apart right now as they as they are now 
but they were just as far apart when the Federalists were in power and the Republicans were in power in the 1790s. And that uh, brought, you know, that was a very tough time for American it, democracy. It was. I, I think that's worth repeating again, is that, yes, things are extremely polarized and people think, well, it's, it's not like Civil War bad. OK, perhaps not. But there were other points in history. And, and that time right about then, uh, if, if you've read either the Hamilton biography or a whole host of other things, anything about the election of 1800, we have been through a period like this before. Now, again, it doesn't mean we're automatically going to come out of it, but it, we, we have seen this happen. Yeah. The second factor is conflict over who belongs to a certain political community. And this means if you're, if you're race, ethnicity, like the Irish, when they came over, we weren't so enthused about them, you know, right. but obviously blacks versus whites, national origin, Native Americans, like that that like fight between who actually belongs in the political discourse is a big factor for whether democracy is strong or not. Third, high and growing economic e equality. Uh, we have inequality just like we've had it in the Gilded Age in the 1920s. And that's when the, the trust ran roughshod over laws. Uh, they ran roughshod over government. Uh, and, and, and we were really bad in the 20s because of that. And then finally, excessive executive power. So even though Roosevelt did a lot for our country in his four terms as president, he be, he made the presidential office super powerful, and that led to Nixon using those powers to abuse them and almost get away with uh, with with terrible abuses in the Watergate scandal. So th those are the four kind of factors that cause a democracy to erode. Now we had the Civil War, which almost killed America, and there were three out of those four that were there. The polarization between parties, this is all from this book, high and growing economic inequality and conflict. Obviously, there's a race conflict who belongs to the political community. That brought us to civil war. The our authors in this book argue that for the first time in American history, we now have all four of these issues that are plaguing America. And that is why uh, they argue that it is scary, scary times in America and in Wisconsin because we've never had all four of these at once. And uh, and and those are the the leaders to a broken democracy, which which does cause people to want to tune out. They want to say, well, I, I don't have a beef with anybody, so they don't get involved. They don't vote. And, and that's just you know, that's not going to be helpful. So uh, again, the, the book is called uh, The Recurring Crises of American Democracy, Four Threats uh, by Suzette Mettler, a professor in the government department at Cornell University, and Robert C. Lieberman, professor for political science at Johns Hopkins University. Uh, something definitely worth your while to read, not, because, not just for the history of it, and not just for uh, the issues, but to understand that these things come home to us uh, that if if you are kicked off the voter rolls, you know, because people are suppressing the vote or rigging the map so you don't get your proper representation or, um, you know, again, imposing their will on schools and making your kids less safe. Uh, these are all things that can be stopped, but you have to be involved with your voice and with your vote. And with that, we have plum run out of time. Uh, so thanks, you guys all. Uh, Sarah Yacoub, Kirk Bankstead, Pat Kreitler all here. We'll see you next week at the cabin.